Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Luke. I'm sure that's not a surprise since we're in a Luke series. Uh, Chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. Perhaps a tad bit unusual that we're reading this in September because typically it's a Christmas passage. But we are reflecting on the meaning of this unexpected news of how Jesus came. Verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there and there were shepherds in living in the fields out nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who, were lying in the, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. Good morning. I want to add one additional highlight and praise. Um, Yesterday, Mackenzie Miller and Nate Martin were married um, here. So Wes went to uh, an additional married and wedding with uh, Justin, and uh, we also want to thank God for uh, Mackenzie and Nate and keep them in prayer as they begin their... uh, what a bliss. And Wes was right up here yesterday in the middle of it with uh, so many things on, on our minds. Um, it, that happens. 
that happens. Um, yeah, so last week we began our, our worship uh, or our sermon series on Luke. And the word unexpected is part of the, the title and, and the process. Um, today you would have received or seen in your boxes um, booklets available for taking notes, reflecting, however, wherever that may fit within your devotional time, um, taking notes during a sermon, uh, Sunday school time, whatever that may be. We have booklets also for the YACS class and the MYF class, uh, so there are some additional that will be available, so if somebody is in need, um, let us know, because uh, we want to make those available. And Wes just read the story of Jesus' birth, a familiar story, one that as a kid growing up, Christmas morning, that's what we read as a family. My dad read it, and then as we got older, we would read the story, and, and our own family, Dawn and I, we continue that as well. So we're very familiar with the Luke 2 story, Jesus' birth, the Son of God coming to earth, the angels singing, and the shepherds being the first to see Jesus. So what's unexpected? What's different? Well, I, I want to look at three, three questions for today. First one, why did Jesus come to earth? The second one, why did Jesus come in this manner? And then the third question, one that I'll take a little bit more time with, what is our response? And uh, this is where the title of my sermon comes in, to lead, to follow, to serve. And I failed to put a question mark at the end of that. But it, you know, which is it? How much of any of those are we called as Jesus came to earth? So first question, why did Jesus come to earth? If you Google that online, uh, you'll find different websites, different locations. Uh, There's actually one website that had 31 reasons why Jesus came to earth. All with scripture backing that up. And I'm not going to go through that list of 31. Um, there's some that had seven, some that had three. But why did Jesus come to earth? And so I, I've got a few that I'm going to pick here. Um, the first one comes from Luke 4, directly from Jesus' words. Uh, verses 18 and 19, this was Jesus reading in the synagogue from the scrolls of Isaiah. And he read, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to pro proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's why Jesus came, from his own words. But I would also say Mary, uh, in Luke 1, heard this from the angel. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So additional things that are going to be happening with Jesus on earth. 
And then I want to add these, these four others as to why Jesus came on earth and connected with, with Scripture. In John 6.38, this is Jesus speaking to the multitudes. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So he came to do the Father's will. John 18.37, and this would be as uh, Jesus was being questioned by Pilate. And this was actually a focus of uh, the Truth Project this past um, uh, winter. We went through a video series on a Wednesday night. Del Tackett led that. And the statement that he made is, in answering the question, why did Jesus come to earth, is answered in this. John 18, 37. The reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Testifying to the truth. Another reason. 1 Timothy 1.15, and this would be Paul writing. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And one additional way I would say this is Jesus came to show us the way. Um, in that list of 31, there were so many of them were simply examples of how Jesus lived out his life. Showing us an example. And there's actually a song back in 1996, Stephen Curtis Chapman. And you know, you're going to be singing a song by Keith Green later on from 1980. So some retro songs. But Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote a song called The Walk. Came out in 1996. And one of the, the choruses or one of the verses said, There's a man I know. He said he'd come to show us the way. He died on a cross and he rose from the grave and he proved that he was more than just talk. He taught us the walk. So from, from these things that I've just read, Jesus came to earth to lead and to rule, carrying out God's wishes here on earth, revealing God's truth to men, saving the lost, being a rescuer. He was the Messiah. Showing us the way freeing prisoners and the oppressed. He was identified as the son of the most high. He was going to sit upon a throne. He was going to reign over a kingdom that would never end. And so as those things are described, what do you envision? Well, the, the Jews would be anticipating fulfillment of a prophecy that came back from Numbers Chapter 24, verses 17 and 19, it says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. A ruler will come out of Jacob. So even today, when we elect world leaders, country leaders, county leaders, whoever they are, we try to identify those who may provide answers to challenges that we face in all those settings. Those who may save us in some level. They may rescue us. They may set things right. So what does the world envision as leaders? Let's take a look at a couple pictures. There's a strong leader. That's Samson. I'll go to the next one. There's Goliath, a strong warrior. And, and those pictures come from uh, the book that 
that we use for the children's story each Thursday with the, uh, with the daycare. But th those are who we envision on earth as those are our strong, mighty warriors. And even in biblical times, King Saul was selected because the Israelites desired a king. And who did they pick? Somebody that was handsome and tall. That was their leader. And who do we pick as our leaders? Well, people with influence. Maybe people with money. People who know how to get things done. And so many times we see and read, if, if we're in trouble, we need good leaders. And we do. But then we'll go to another picture. This is the cover of our current sermon series. And so we're called by God to follow me. And so our leader, our leader, God, our leader calls us, and that's his invitation, follow me. And so here's where the unexpected comes in. And Jeff made a little bit of a reference to this as well. Jesus entered this world not rich, proud, as a king sitting on a throne. He entered this world poor, humble, as a baby, laying in a manger. Let's take another look, one last picture. That's what we have for our bulletin this morning. Wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. That's how he entered this world. In a way very different than what might have been expected as a savior for the Jews as a worldly savior. So, so the second question, why did Jesus come in this way? Well, I, I think a simple answer is, well, the kingdom of God is not of this world. So don't expect this world to be what's gonna be anticipated with Jesus coming. It's not of this world. Uh, 1978, yeah, I'm going back in time with some things. Donald Crable wrote a book called The Upside Down Kingdom. And if you go to Amazon just for a summary of the book, here's, here's what is written of that book that still has powerful words for today. Donald Crable shows how the kingdom of God announced by Jesus appeared upside down in first century Palestine. Jesus wins by serving and triumphs by losing. Today, God's way still looks upside down as it breaks into diverse cultures around the world. This book continues to call many to radical discipleship. So I, I'm, I'm taking a bit of a liberty to rewrite Luke 2's story just a little bit. So Wes read how Jesus came. So I'm going to go back. And if I look at Luke 2, the first three verses, leaving them as they are, you know, the census was going to be taken. And then I'm going to rewrite verses 4 through 7 this way. So Joseph and his wife Mary left their well-established house in Rome and traveled to Joseph's hometown in Athens, Greece, because his family was of prominent, well-educated heritage. While they were there, she gave birth to a son, her firstborn, who would be raised to continue the highly respected family business for many years. He was taken by her maidservants, wrapped in soft and rich velvet blankets, and laid in a warm, comfortable bed. 
Now, obviously, that's not what was written. That's not what was happening. And then continuing on, the shepherds are out in the field. The angels come, appear to the shepherds. And then taking a different look, a twist on verse 12. The angels then would have been telling the shepherds, you will find the baby wrapped in soft and rich velvet blankets, being carefully watched over by his mother's maidservants in a beautiful mansion. And again, that's not where Jesus was. But then the angels joined by a heavenly chorus, sings, and then leaves. And then the shepherds are left with this information. Okay, if lowly shepherds would be given that information and that scenario, I don't think they would say, hey, let's go to Bethlehem and see what's happening. I think they would say something more like this. We are lowly shepherds. There is no way that we are going to be given entry to a palace. This king and this Messiah, he's not meant for us. If Jesus had come in that manner, things would be very different. But that's not how he came. Jesus came for everyone. Doesn't matter who you are. Titles, possessions, family background make no difference to God. No one is excluded because of who you are or who you aren't, because of what you have or don't have, who you know or don't know, the talents that you possess or that you lack. People who have are invited to Jesus' manger. People who don't have are invited to Jesus' manger. Everybody in the middle, whoever you are, you're invited to Jesus' manger. One family, one body. And our world doesn't follow those lines. Um, I'll give you this as an example. Last year, uh, my brother-in-law um, gave me a book, and we, we read through it together. We haven't gotten back together to discuss this, but it's a book on fandom. Um, a sports book that says rethinking how to be a fan, basically. And it's an interesting book, mostly identifying how owners of professional sports teams don't give fans the same respect and, um, I don't want to say, loyalty that fans usually give teams. I mean, that, that's the main part of this book. And one of the chapters is titled Gentrifying the Bleachers, and it gives this story in perspective. New York Yankees, and, and, and I, I'm going to use the New York Yankees here, but there's so many other sports teams that would do something similar as well. In 2016, the New York Yankees set up their own ticket exchange. Um, you can go on StubHub, different websites, and you can get tickets in a secondary scenario. Ticket owners, ticket holders can sell their own tickets on some of these sites. Well, the New York Yankees basically took over that process themselves. They didn't want anything to go to StubHub and Ticketmaster and be a secondary process. And that's fine. Part of the reason that some of the secondary sources do that is you can kind of increase the price or decrease the price of that ticket. What's interesting is a bit of why they did that. 
that there was an interview that the Yankee marketing officer had. And in, in this conversation, what was revealed basically was a fear that the wealthy ticket holders would be forced to sit with the common fans able to purchase a reduced price ticket. So the Yankees basically intentionally were separating the haves from the have-nots. God's not the New York Yankees. In Acts 10.34 we read, Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. When you are invited and welcomed into God's family, and you accept that invitation, we all eat, we all commune, we all worship together as one. The website gotquestions.org says it this way. Instead of coming to earth as a pampered, privileged ruler, Jesus was born in meekness as one of us. He is approachable, accessible, available. No palace gates bar the way to him. No ring of guards prevents our approach. The king of kings comes humbly, and his first bed was a manger. Jesus entered this world in a way that was inviting and available to everyone. And so the third question I have, and this is really where you know, rubber meets the road, what is our response to that process and Jesus' example? To lead, to follow, or to serve? Now we have our mission statement posted over here. Our mission is to call and prepare everyone to be fully committed followers of Jesus Christ. And that process of to call and prepare does require some form and method of organization, of leading. That, that's part of a process. So are we as a community of faith and fellowship called to seek out, identify, and develop leaders? Are we called to seek out, identify, and develop followers? Are we called to seek out, identify, and develop servants? And I'll say yes to all three of those. God needs leaders. God asks us to follow. He needs followers. And he needs servants. All very appropriate and necessary in our walk of faith together. Over the last couple of months, there was something that kept popping up on my radar. And it, was, it happened too many times to ignore. And it has to do with this idea of leading, following, and being a servant. There's a book that was published just this, this year from Crossway Publishing, written by Richard Langer and Joanne J. Jung. And it's titled, The Call to Follow. Hearing Jesus in a culture obsessed with leadership. Again, our culture, we need good leaders. That's what we keep hearing. Um, I, I just received it a couple weeks ago. haven't had a chance to start it. But I'm interested in what it has to say in more depth. But the, the first paragraph on the back cover of this book says this. It says, today's culture says you must be a good leader to be successful. But the Bible tells a different story. 
While scripture teaches the importance of good, faithful leadership, it also emphasizes how being obedient followers of Christ is at the very heart of faith. Carl Vaders, uh, the Christian pastor and author from California, he spoke at a weekend retreat at Rosedale Bible College a couple weeks ago that I was able to attend. And one of the sessions that he led was titled Finding and Mentoring Volunteers in Today's Church. And I, this was a good session for you know, those in leadership to identify volunteers, but I, I think it's for all of us to be aware. Vader's referred to the benefits of using what's called the Jethro system of leadership. Uh, it's a system utilized by churches, organizations, and businesses that's based on an Old Testament conversation between Moses and Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. Moses had been hearing all of the disputes, dealing with all of the levels of leadership with the children of Israel as they worked through the wilderness. And he was getting tired and burned out because everything was coming to him. And Jethro recognized it. And so Jethro came to him. He said, hey, um, and this would be in Exodus 18, 21. Jethro recommends to Moses, select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. So basically, find leaders who can help you by leading smaller groups. The smallest group that is referred to there is by tens. But then how about groups of fifties? How about groups of hundreds, groups of a thousand? So different levels of what that leadership would look like. But find capable individuals who can lead. Invaders has applied this different times with, uh, with the church that he's involved with. Good results, sometimes not perfect because we aren't perfect, but a sound process and, and a sound plan. And he started to notice something about individuals who led as he had conversations and worked with some of these individuals. And so during that session on mentoring volunteers, Vader's made this statement. He said, it is easier to teach a servant to lead than it is to teach a leader to serve, which I found interesting. I'll say that again. It is easier to teach a servant to lead than it is to teach a leader to serve. Why? Well, it, it, here's some things. If, if given a leadership role, and this would be in a business, in government, in church, on a sports team, some things where we as prideful and sinful people stumble and fall, and sadly we, we've all experienced it or been part of this in some scenario, maybe even trapped and we stumble this, into this ourselves. Some unhealthy patterns of leaders could be that somebody becomes more of a boss than a leader. If somebody is even taking appropriate responsibility, all of a sudden we can make the role ours instead of the group or the organization. And in, in church, that becomes our ministry instead of God's ministry. I can also start to have an attitude that, hey, this is my domain, therefore my rules. I can also start to overlook somebody else's opinion or thoughts because, well, I'm the leader. 
And generally, all of that is a power of ego. Leadership going to somebody's head. I mean, it, it happens. But might we better seek leaders differently than looking for leaders? And the leaders that we look at generally end up being the world's pattern. What are the things of leaders that we see? What if we recognize someone who consistently has the benefit of others in their hearts? Somebody who's ready to volunteer and help out. Ready to lend a hand or simply spend time. Vader's had this happen in, in his church. He, he recognized that there was a high school youth in the congregation who always tended to be around when there was help needed. Uh, setting up or tearing down chairs. Assisting the ushers. Bringing a friend with him to church. It was somebody who was serving. And so Vader's tapped this young man on the shoulder, continued to give him opportunities to serve, and over time, this individual grew into a leader who is currently a youth pastor in their church. All based on beginning as a server, as a servant. And I want you to notice Jethro's words to Moses. He says, select men who fear God. Trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. Jethro did not tell Moses, select men who are well organized and have leadership qualities. Select men who fear God. And I would also word that, select men whose heart is to follow God. And isn't that for all of us? We're all seeking to follow God's will and God's call. So now something that could be possible and awesome is that some who are showing servanthood qualities already have leadership qualities. That'd be awesome. And God can, can grant that. Vader's commented on how the Bible talks more about servanthood than it does about leadership. And that, that's part of where I'm interested in reading through this book. Because that's going to be a big part of what is referred to. How do we take leadership from servanthood? Um, I want three scriptures that I want to share. In Luke 22, this was Jesus speaking to the disciples. The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. In Philippians 2, uh, verses 5 through 8, this was Paul reflecting upon the mindset of Jesus and the actions. So Paul writes, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, at, mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." And nine, uh, excuse me, Mark 9.35, again, Jesus speaking. If anyone would be first, 
He must be last of all and servant of all. These are biblical truths. But they aren't part of truth that our world sees as being completely foreign, though. Um, I ran across a quote by retired U.S. General Bruce C. Clark, passed away in 1988. And he made this comment about leadership. And again, this would be from a military standpoint. He said, rank is given you to enable you to better serve those above and below you. It is not for you to practice your idiosyncrasies. Now, I have no idea if Bruce C. Clark was a Christian in any way or not. But that's, that's what God is asking us to be, servants. Regardless of what our role is, regardless of what our title may be, we're serving. We're serving God, we're serving each other. The central theme of the Bible is the servant of all, Jesus Christ. He came humbly. He came as a servant. And he calls us to follow him in all those steps of servanthood. And now we may have roles of ministry, and, and we have many roles of ministry here at the church. And I would call them all roles of servanthood. Many different groups needing to be led by servants. And so as we enter into different roles of leadership, whether it's at church, whether it's at your work, because workplaces need Christians actively interacting. Within your community, we need to be active there. Within your family, Here's a challenge I would give to each of us as we do this. Serve first. Lead second. Serve first. Lead second. And in doing so, I believe that's the idea of following. Following God's call for the community of faith and his kingdom. Serve first. And in doing so, you're leading. Community needs to be served. Your fellow workers in your job place need to be served. Congregation, you look around, we need to serve each other. Your family needs to be served. Whether it's immediate family, secondary family, I don't care who it is. They need to be served. And our Lord needs to be served. And we're not going to do it alone. We make mistakes. And as somebody is serving us, they're going to make mistakes. And maybe every once in a while, I might be a little bit offended. Be forgiving. Show mercy. We're seeking to serve each other together. Rely upon God's strength, his wisdom, and his mercy. Jesus came to this world as a servant. Humbly laying in a manger. He came as a redeemer, the savior of the world. He sacrificed himself for us, died for our sins. He taught us how to serve with his words. But he showed us how to serve with his actions. So as we sing this last song, there is a redeemer. I thank the Lord for him giving Jesus. Yeah, come on up. For him sending Jesus to this world 
to show us what it is. Not what it was, but what it is moving forward to serve.